We fall, we break, we fail. But then we rise, we heal, we overcome. I choose to live by choice, not by chance. To be motivated, not manipulated. To be useful, not used. To make changes, not excuses. To excel, not compete. I choose self-esteem, not self-pity. I choose to listen to my inner voice, not the random opinions of others. I choose to do the things others will not, so I can continue to do the things others cannot. Fate whispers to the warrior, you cannot withstand the storm. The warrior replied, I am the storm. This is Doc's Daily Dose, and you are a warrior. Welcome to Doc's Daily Dose. I'm your host, Coach Doc. So I'm on this app called Wisdom, and it allows you to ask any question you want to someone very specific on the app or just in general for anyone to answer. And when they choose to answer the question, you get 60 seconds of response time. So it has to be short and sweet and to the point. You can't just drag on like I do here on this podcast sometimes. But recently, I was asked two questions that brought up the exact same story. And so I figured I'd share this story here because... It's something that after being asked and after answering, not the story itself has played in my mind over and over, but the idea of looking at the bigger picture and not getting trapped and stuck in the mud that's right in front of you. So I was 16 years old, winter formal. Stop me if you've heard this story before. Well, don't stop me. Let it ride. It's me, my high school girlfriend, my best friend who was my play cousin and one of my best friends to this day who went to high school with me. She had a crush on my cousin, so she invited him to Winter Formal. We take my 1983 money green Pontiac Brom, we call it the Broham, with mirror tint on the bottom and crazy beat in the trunk, to Winter Formal. Now, we partied in high school, so we were pre-gaming and doing our thing, and we go to the Winter Formal, but no one had planned an after-party for Winter Formal. So my buddy Mike said, you know what, we can all go to my house, but the parties we used to have in high school were the parties you would see on TV, like kegs, hardcore liquor, weed, music, parents home, just chilling up in the room, but like two to 300 kids in the backyard, just getting crazy. Well, it wasn't the case for this one because it was last minute. He was just like, yeah, you guys can come on over. So I want to say about maybe 20, 25 of us go over to Mike's house after winter formal. We get there and, you know, just nothing's happening. And we're like, oh, do you have anything to drink? And he's like, I think I can sneak maybe like one bottle of tequila from my parents somewhere. But that's not going to work for 25 people, right? So a lot of people kind of started leaving or just kind of chilling out and hanging around, not really drinking. But mind you, we'd already kind of been on one prior to winter formal. Me and my girlfriend end up heading to the back room and doing our high school thing when her mom comes knocking at the front door. And then people come banging on the room door like, your mom's here, your mom's here. So we scramble, her mom yanks her out of this so-called party, and now I'm kind of pissed off, like, man, well, this party sucks, my girlfriend's left, like, there's nothing really to do, are you guys even drinking on this tequila, like, let's kick it. So we start taking some shots, I know I've got some weed in the car, two blunts rolled up, but the party's just whack, it was no fun, it was basically just me, my cousin, and a few other people just kind of hanging out, taking shots, and talking shit. 
So I think to myself, hey, let's go to the arena. Now, the arena was a club back in the day that was 16 and up, which I don't even know how they made that possible. But they didn't sell alcohol, right? But everybody came already blasted or they snuck stuff in and drank while they were on the dance floor. So me and my cousin and one of my good friends, Devin, he's like, I'm down to roll. Now, this is all the way in L.A., so it's like a 20, 25-minute drive, right? And we're not even really sure exactly where the arena is. We just kind of know the vicinity. And I knew that once I saw the streets, I would remember how to get there. So we hop in the car, turn the music up on full volume, light the blunt, and we're off. Now, for the past month, I had been driving on a donut. You know, as a high school kid who didn't have very much money, and my radiator was already, you know, kind of busted. I had to fill it up with hose water every morning. I couldn't afford to get a new tire and have gas. So I just rode around on the donut. Now, as I'm driving down the 110 freeway, and we're hotboxing this blunt, we're blasting music, just being dumb 16-year-olds, which, don't try that at home, youngins, if you're listening. Just don't. It's foolish now that I think back on it. But in the moment, I was just being 16 and dumb. Well, I was driving just fine. Had I had liquor in me? Yes. Had we been hotboxing a blunt? Yes. But I wasn't swerving. I wasn't, you know, out of control or anything like that. My donut just blew after riding on it for a month. And when the donut popped, there was an exit. But we were moving at the speed of a freeway, which was 65, 70, 75 miles per hour. And I knew with a flat tire, like you just can't swerve over to the right and kind of hit the brakes. So I had enough wherewithal to know, like, don't just swerve over and try to get off on this exit. Instead, I brought the speed down slowly. I move over to the right side, put on my hazards, and I'm waiting for the next exit. I get off on the next exit, and as you pull off, it curves off to the right onto the freeway off-ramp. Now, the off-ramp goes down into a light, and on the other side is the freeway on-ramp to get back on. So it wasn't like I pulled off and there were a bunch of streets in different directions to go. But as I'm pulling off at a crawl snail's pace, in the distance about a block up at the stoplight, I see two police cars with their sirens on that had just pulled somebody over and given them a ticket and were letting them go. But to my left, I see an apartment complex with a big parking lot. Now there's a double yellow line there, but I know at least in California, it's not illegal to cross a double yellow line if you're pulling into a parking lot or a driveway. You can do that. So I turn my signal on. I tell my buddy in the back, hey, pass me the blunt. And I take one more hit and I put it in the ashtray. I turn left across that double yellow, get into the parking lot, pull my car into a parking space. As I put that bad boy in park, to get out to change this tire because I had one more donut in the back. Before I can open the door, both cops are on our ass. Spotlights on, guns drawn, yelling and screaming. Get out of the car, get out of the car, hands up right now. I open the car door and smoke just billows out like if it was from a Cheech and Chong movie. Like I knew I was caught. I knew I was caught. There was nothing to do, nowhere to go. I knew I was gonna go to jail. I knew there was no way around this. I also knew that if they gave me a breathalyzer, which they didn't need to, I was definitely going to show that I had been drinking. And my dad always told me, look, if you're going to do anything, whether it's illegal, legal, good, bad, doesn't matter. Understand what the consequences may be and then make your decision on whether or not you're going to do it. 
But if those consequences catch up to you, accept them. That was part of the deal before you did the thing you did. And now there were two police officers, one in each car. There was a male officer and a female officer. The female officer was extremely aggressive. She was yelling at the top of her lungs. She ran up to the passenger side and she's got the gun right there telling them to roll down the window. Like the other guy was just kind of at his door. He had his gun drawn too, but he wasn't yelling and screaming. He recognized real fast that we were just kids. So, you know, they did the whole walk backwards to the car thing. Officer immediately cuffs me. They get my cousin and my friend out of the car and they got them standing over to the side. Everybody's high as hell. The interesting thing is normally if you're under the influence and a cop pulls you over and you're in a traumatic situation like that, your high immediately fades. It's gone. It evaporates. But because I knew I was caught, it just didn't. And I was just like, all right, I guess this is just what we're doing. And so remembering my dad's words, I wasn't being an asshole. I wasn't being defiant. I was complying with every single request. And so at this point, he's put me in the back seat. And they're like, we're going to search your car after the smoke, you know, goes away. And so they open up all the car doors. And as he's waiting for the smoke to dissipate, he's talking to me and he's asking me questions where we're going, where we're coming from, yada, yada, yada. And I tell him, like, we were at a winter formal and we were going to the arena and, you know, we were just hanging out, man. And then he asked me, am I going to find anything in the car? And I go, yeah, there's a roach that's still probably partially lit and a full blunt in the ashtray. And he's like, thank you. I appreciate that. I'm like, yeah, no problem, man. They go in, they search the car, they pull out the weed. And then he throws that on the hood of his car. The female officer is still talking to my cousin and my friend. And my cousin's starting to, you know, wild out a little bit like, man, y'all can't take my cousin. He can't go to jail. And I'm just like, I'm yelling out the window like, man, calm down, relax. Don't go to jail too. Like, let them get you home. I'm good. I'm good. Don't worry about it. He finally calms down. They put both of them in the back of her car. The officer comes back up to me and he goes, we're going to get them home. But you, my friend, you're going to jail tonight. I'm like, okay, I understand. I get it. And so the female officer, she goes back into her car and waits and she's just waiting for him to finish up. And he goes, we're going to do a field sobriety test. So they get out and have me walk the line and do all that jazz. And I don't remember how well I did or how poorly I did. But he just goes, you know, you're going to jail tonight, right? And I'm like, yeah, I know. We've been drinking, too. Like, I'm not going to lie to you, man. And he goes, is there anything in the trunk I need to be worried about? I'm like, nah, there's just a bunch of cigarette packs back there. I had a carton. So he pops the trunk and has me standing next to it. And sure enough, the cigarette carton had busted open and the cigarette packs were all over the back of the trunk. And as we're waiting there, I'm like, man, since we're going to jail, do you mind if I just have a cigarette right quick? And he just kind of laughs at me and he's like, you're not even 18. You're not even allowed to have a cigarette. And I'm like, I know, I know. I just figured, you know, why not ask? And we both kind of chuckle it off and they roll up all the windows and, you know, lock the car. And he goes, well, I'm not going to tow your car because you've been respectful and compliant with me. And I'm like, I appreciate that, man. He's like, and it's in a proper parking space. So it's all good where it's at. They end up taking my cousin and my friend home. They drive them all the way back to Pasadena. The female officer does and drops them off at their house. The male officer then takes me to the Rampart Division police station. Now I'm 16. They throw me inside of the drunk tank. There's three other people in there. One guy who I believe was homeless or transient And he's just kind of passed out. Another guy who's super drunk, who's being aggressive, yelling and screaming. And then another guy who's just kind of chilling over in the corner. I'm not scared, but I'm also on guard. 
I'm not worried that anything's going to happen, but I'm paying attention to my surroundings. And at this point, I'm thinking, like, am I actually going to go to county or are they going to send me to jail? Do I just stay here? Like, what happens? They fingerprint me, book me, do all that stuff. And still, my high and alcohol intake has not dropped at all. Like, I'm still under the influence and I feel it. Now, we got picked up, I want to say, around 11, 11.30 p.m. Around 3 in the morning, the officer comes back in and he goes, we're going to release you to your parents. Do you want me to call your mom or your dad? And I'm like, call my dad. Please call my dad. Because my dad's been in the situation of having to deal with officers, being locked up in jail, smoking weed, drinking. Like, I just figured he would understand better. But here's the thing. Because they had already taken my cousin and my friend home and told them what happened, their parents had already called my house. My mom answered the phone, so she's fully aware of what's going on, and she's waiting by the phone for my phone call. So the police call, and then they come back and say, we contacted your house, but your mom was ready and waiting. So they're on their way to come get you. About 30 minutes later, they pull me out of the drunk tank, and they walk me into the lobby of the police station. Now, just like any other lobby, you know, there's the chairs where all the citizens sit, and then there's the desk where the officers are behind. And so they parked me in a chair behind the desk with the officers and handcuffed me to the chair. I'm just waiting, just waiting. And then all of a sudden, I hear a screech through the parking lot. And it is my mom tearing ass through the parking lot, slamming on her brakes and hopping out. I look up and my sister opens the door first and she's got a shit-eating grin on her face. She just knows I'm in trouble. My mom comes in and she's yelling and screaming and cursing and not at the officers, but at me. Is this what you want to do? Is this what you're all about? You're trying to hurt yourself, other people, all this. Yada. I mean, she's just going off. The fuck are you doing? Da, 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 da. And then behind her is my dad. Now, if you've never seen a picture of my dad, go check out my social media. You'll see what he looks like. But he's about six foot one, six foot two usually hovers around 220, 230, solid muscle. He comes walking in with a stoic look on his face, not a single word, and he's heading straight for the lobby desk, straight for me. He doesn't say a single word to the officers, comes right around the desk, and the officers get scared and go, oh my God, sir, sir, what are you doing? They put their hands on their gun, and he walks right over to me, and I'm kind of bracing myself. And remember, I'm handcuffed here, so I can't even defend anything that's coming. And he walks right over, stands over me, lifts me up by the shoulders, looks me dead in the eye, and gives me a hug. And then he pulls back and goes, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, dad, I'm okay. Then he walks back over to the other side of the desk. My mom's like, what do we have to do? And, and the officer tells her, well, he was very compliant and respectful. And he did park the car in a proper place. So we didn't tow the car. The car's still there. You'll have to go get it. So they give me the paperwork or whatever, uncuff me, and we're walking out into the parking lot. And we've got the keys to my car. My mom's still going off on me. And we get in the car, and she starts driving, and she's still talking and yelling. And she gets about three, four blocks away, and she goes, and where's your damn car? And I'm like, I have no idea, Mom. <laughs> I absolutely have no idea. <laughs> so we have to turn around and come back to the police station to ask where the car is. They give her the location of the vehicle. We drive there. My dad still hasn't said a word. We get out. 
my dad finally speaks again and he goes, do you have another donut or spare in the trunk? And I'm like, yeah, we jack the car up. We fix it. And he goes, I'm going to drive this home. You ride with me. Tells my mom, he's going to come with me. We get in the car. We start driving towards home. No words are being said. No music is being played. He pulls out his pack of cigarettes, leans over and goes, want one? Yeah, I do. Smoked a cigarette. We're driving. Then he goes, are you hungry? I'm sure you haven't ate anything. I go, I'm starving. He pulls in a Del Taco and grabs me my go-to at that time, which was two green burritos, extra green sauce, and chili cheese fries with extra jalapenos and a Sprite. We get the food. He pays for it. We drive home. As we enter the house, my dad says, eat your food. We'll talk about this in the morning. I love you. I'm glad you're home, and I'm glad you're safe. My mom didn't talk to me for like three, four days after that. And my dad came down and talked to me the next morning just about what I was doing, how I handled it, what this all meant with respect to my license, having a record, potentially affecting college, my sports. But he went back to always evaluating the consequences of any action you engage in and being willing to accept the entire spectrum of consequences that may come with that action. Now, I know this is a bit longer than normal, but it was a good story. Now, what ends up happening? I get my license suspended for a year. My car breaks down the next week anyways, and the engine stalls out until the car is scrapped. I end up going to court the day that my ticket says to go, and when I'm there, the clerk's like, we don't have any ticket on file. And the only thing I can surmise is being respectful to this officer, telling the truth and being compliant, him seeing that I was a good kid who had parents who cared, seeing that I had just made a mistake and that my parents were not happy about it, he decided not to file the ticket. So I never had any criminal charges for DUI and possession. But the DMV, they're their own separate entity. So they're immediately notified. And my license was suspended for a year. And I had to do a drug and alcohol class, as well as some AA meetings, and like a few hours of some sort of class for driving in order to get my license back after a year. Now, having told that story twice in the past week through this wisdom app, it just kept bringing me back to the bigger picture. In that moment, my dad's experience of drugs, alcohol, incarceration allowed him the bigger picture to see what his son needed in that moment. Now, I'm not saying my mom was wrong in her approach. She was upset and rightfully so. But my dad was able to take a step back and go, no amount of yelling and screaming at him right now or being upset with him is going to change anything. It's not going to change the fact that he was just arrested. It's not going to change the fact that he's going to lose his license. It's not going to change the fact that it could affect his college or change the fact that he just spent, I don't know, five hours inside of a jail cell for the first time. What he needs right now is love and understanding. What he needs right now is a hug and someone to ask if he's okay. We can deal with the mud later. Right now, the bigger picture is, is my son all right? And it made me think about the things I deal with my own kids, the things I deal with in my career, my personal life, and how often we get caught up in the thing that's thrown right in our face instead of taking a step back and going, what's needed actually in this moment? Is it love and compassion? Is it discipline? Is it focus? Is it continuing on the bigger picture, the vision, the journey? Or do we get bogged down in the mud of what's happening right here in the moment and forget all of that? So for your homework, whatever situation you're dealing with right now at the moment, I want you to take 
a bird's eye view of it and ask yourself, what's really needed for you at this very moment? What's going to help you progress forward and deal with that mud and be able to push through it to get to the clearing? Now, there will be more obstacles once you hit that clearing, but let's get you there. Let's not march in place in this quicksand and keep sinking and sinking and sinking. Let's find a way to pull you out of it by looking around your environment, by seeing who can help and throw you a lifeline, how you can help yourself and pull yourself out of it. If you get trapped in what's happening right now and forget the bigger picture, all you'll ever see is the mud that your feet are stuck in. You have to stop, stay still, breathe and think. What is needed for me in this moment? If you can do that, you can get through any terrain you can think of and come out on the other side. And I did. And in that moment, it was thanks to my pops. And I want you to keep that in mind the next time you run into a problem or one of your loved ones does and need you in that moment to help them see the bigger picture. I appreciate you. Thanks for listening and much love always. Be grateful for adversity. For it forces the human spirit to grow. For surely, the human character is formed not in the absence of difficulty, but in our response to difficulty. Thank you for listening to Doc's Daily Dose. I truly appreciate you. The ability to be honest and show strength and vulnerability doesn't happen without you pressing play. If you've got any suggestions, any ideas, or simply want to help make this show bigger and better, at the end of the show notes here, please feel free to donate and support Doc's Daily Dose. If you've got any questions that you want me to answer on the podcast, well, hit me up. A simple email, coachdoc at muchlovealways.com. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter on muchlovealways.com and check out anything else on the website. Again, I'm truly thankful for you. Much love always.